Hello, and welcome to the Mile High Church Podcast. Join us and some very special guests as we dive in together, open our hearts, and get real to discuss what we've been thinking about. So uh, it's Barry. Glad to be back. Glad you're with us today. And today we're talking about recovery. And I brought in two friends here, Reverend Carol Wilkie, who is one of the ministers at Mile High Church, and Jim Weiss, who is a good friend on our board and also does a lot of work in recovery, too. So welcome, Carol. Thanks, Thank Barry. You. Glad to be here. And Jim, here. glad you're here. Thanks for thanks for coming in. So, just to kick off the uh, recovery thing and just that idea, I'd like both of you to just uh, kind of give a quick synopsis of how you got into it and how long you've been at it. I think for me, Barry, I um, started drinking at the age of 16 and started drinking to be more clever, funnier, wittier, more comfortable in my own skin, and. By the time I reached the age of 46, I was drinking to keep from seeing who I had become. And so that journey for me was just one of shame and remorse and guilt um, and having to then step into a new way of being and completely do everything in my life differently. I've now been sober for 20 years, and it's been probably the most amazing, gratifying, and rewarding journey of my life. Yeah, yeah. Congratulations, by the way. Yeah, thanks. And uh, Jim, how about you? So I was also the same as Carol. I started about the age of 16. Um, I started more with drugs than I did with alcohol. And like most people, I did it to feel normal, to fit in, to be funny, to be good-looking to 16-year-old girls to not have to deal with my insecurities. And that journey led me on for 35 years, um, letting go of most of the drugs, but the last 20 years was, uh, I couldn't let go of the alcohol. And uh, despite all the heart and want and desire, I had no idea how to do it. I hit a place one day where I had to make a choice. And pretty much in an instance, I, I made the choice to let go. And that was the first time in my life I ever said these words to anybody, I need help. And I reached out to friends and family and community. And uh, thankfully, that was uh, over 18 years ago. And uh, as I ran that journey and lived that journey, I also realized that I fell in love with the idea of recovery. And I can say that it's, it's the hardest thing I've ever done. And it's come with the most rewards of anything I've ever done in my life. So, um, having that love for recovery, I also stepped into the industry as a uh, certified addiction specialist, and I've been doing that for the last 15 years. And it's just an absolute passion for me to, to give back to so many people what so many people gave to me. So I'm just grateful for that. Great. Well, you know, one of the phrases that you hear in recovery all the time is that people uh, get started when they hit bottom, that someone has to hit bottom. Uh, is that true? Is that a cliche? What, where does that fall into the, the spectrum of people seeking recovery? Well, I think uh, such a huge part of this disease and of alcoholism and addiction is denial. And so, so many of us are in denial that we even are an alcoholic. It's the only disease where the person who has it is in complete denial that they even have it, right? And so um, it's 
Robert Louis Stevenson said, sooner or later, we all sit down to a banquet of our consequences. And that's what hitting bottom is. When all of those consequences start to pile up, they get so overwhelming. They might uh, land us in jail or have tremendous consequences. We may ostracize everyone from our life. And then something will happen that is the final piece. Um, It can be something super devastating and it can be something that might just be a small thing, but it was the final piece that needed to happen for someone to say, oh my gosh, I'm, I cannot go on living this way. Okay. And for all of us, it's different, but it's, it's catastrophic enough that it gets us to change our behavior and to, as Jim said, those three little words that are so important, I need help. And once we can have the courage to say that and reach out and ask somebody for help, whether it's going to a recovery meeting or reaching out to uh, a minister or a friend or someone like Jim who does this great counseling work, um, it's simple and it's really hard. Yeah, yeah. Well, in your in your counseling work, I mean, you're talking with a lot of people, obviously, who are close, uh, close to making that decision. Um, so how do you, how do you help them get there? Well, I, I get people from all over the spectrum. I get some people that walk in and say they're ready, and they demonstrate it with their actions. And and I also get people that walk in, and they're still questioning whether they're ready. They're, mm-hmm. They've got this duality going on. They're they're starting to see the consequences and experiencing the hurt and the pain for themselves and, and perhaps family members and such, but there's that part of them that still is struggling to, to let go and envision a life without alcohol or drugs. So part of the work I do is just to help open them up to see what their life can be like, how they can grow, how they can evolve. And I know quite often, I, I can tell people, either as a therapist or as a man in recovery, how good this is. And I know they don't believe me. Yeah. I yeah. know that. I know, and I'll tell them to their face. I don't expect you to believe me. But what I try to do is, as a, as a therapist, I consider myself a salesman. And I'm just going to sell love and hope. And get them engaged long enough where they can start experiencing, even at the very beginning, some of the gifts and the rewards that, that come with recovery. And for many of those people, once they get that little snippet of, oh, my life can be better, some jump in with a little toe, some jump in head first and everything in between. Well, a lot of, uh, a lot of what both you guys have been through a lot of meetings, right? And I think that's what stops a lot of people from get, getting going is I don't want to, you know, I don't want to go to a bunch of meetings. And, uh, so you understand that, but where is the gift in that? I think it's that community piece. And for me personally, when I got sober, I'd ostracized everybody from my life. So I was tremendously alone and I knew I couldn't do it by myself. And so for me, going to meetings, the first thing that struck me was, oh my gosh, I'm in a community of like-minded people. These people get me. These people have been where I've been. It made me feel less alone. I kept hearing my story told in all different ways uh, by all sorts of different people. Yeah. And it gave me hope more than anything. And I was so bereft of hope for so long mm-hmm. that to walk into a meeting and see people joking and laughing who 
hadn't had a drink for 30 days or, you know, 10 years or whatever the amount of time was. But I'm like, oh my gosh, how's that even possible? And as I started to start feeling better and um, I went to a meeting every single day for three years. Um, wow. Because that's what I needed for me. Yeah. And it kept me sober and it gave me a new community. But most of all, it gave me hope. Mm. All right, good. Yeah. Jim, what's your take on uh, talking somebody into going to their first meeting? Um, well, like um, I think Martin Luther King said it. You don't have to see the whole stairway. You just have to take the first step. And that first step is walking to that first meeting. And I know when I walked into my first meeting, I, I realized that I was suffering from two diseases. I was suffering, you know, struggling with the disease of addiction, and I was struggling with what I learned to uh, call the uh, disease of terminal uniqueness. So I walked in that room, and I saw 25, 35 people, and none of them drank like I drank. None of them hurt like I hurt. None of them felt as bad about themselves as I felt about myself. Mm-hmm. And I did what most people do, and I sat in the chair closest to the door, half my butt on, half off, and uh, I was given at least a gift to listen. And by the end of the meeting, I was cured of the terminal uniqueness because everybody in that room was Jim. They were younger, they were older, they were male, female, black, white, doesn't matter. Everybody was me. Everybody told a part of my story. And I can say that was the first time in my life I have ever felt I belonged. These people heard me. They understood me. And I also realized as part of that process, I learned that I actually speak two different languages. I speak English, and I spoke drunk. And they were speaking drunk to me. And we connected. Yeah. Well, I know a thing that you've talked a lot about, Carol, is just the importance of community when you're doing this work, that you... Uh, uh, that addiction is kind of fostered in isolation and is cured in community. And I think that's what both of you are saying about walking in, pushing that door open the first time is, uh, is a step into a community that you might not have wanted to join, but here you are, and it's the best one that you can find. So what about for people uh, who have a loved one, who have a family member, who have, uh, have a friend who, who is in this in a position where they would like someone else to go into recovery. So uh, what do they do? That's an incredibly challenging place to be. Yeah. And what I always tell people is sort of the, the three C's of codependency. You know, you didn't cause it, you can't control it, and you can't cure it. And you have to take care of yourself. Mm-hmm. First and foremost. And the thing about uh, someone who's an addict or an alcoholic, they're they're only ready when they're ready and who knows when that is and it's so easy to go down the rabbit hole with them and just get sucked into the tornado or the dysfunction that is that addict and so you know that journey of having a loved one who uh, is suffering from this disease is is really challenging and you know, there's also resources. There's Al-Anon. There's uh, Codependence Anonymous. So there's a lot of groups for people who love someone as well. And again, it's those three three little words. I need help. It's the same principle applies. Absolutely. Yeah. What's your take on that, Jim? For the family members and the friends. Well, it's interesting, and certainly everything Carol said. But it's it's interesting because there's this commonality with the addict, alcoholic, and with the loved ones. 
they're both struggling with this, this feeling of powerlessness. For the addict or alcoholic, it's like, how do I quit? Why can't I quit? And for that loved one, it's the same thing. They love them. They want the, the help and the support for their loved one, but there's only so much they can do. People generally don't get clean and sober from begging, coercing, yelling, screaming, or demanding. That usually sends them farther into their addiction. Like Carol said, I think the most important thing is, and what I advise people, suggest to people, is your number one priority is yourself. Because you've got one person in the family that's struggling if you don't take care of yourself physically, mentally, emotionally, or spiritually. When that person is ready, if you don't take care of yourself, you won't be ready to be there and support them. So to me, the number one priority, and that's a hard one particularly for parents to take in. Yeah. They're parents. My priority is my kids. I don't care if your kid is 37 years old. You're your kid. But it's most important if you don't take care of yourself, you're not going to be there for your loved one when they're ready. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. Another thing I wanted to touch on, uh, since we got a couple of ministers here, is the spiritual aspect of it. I think, you know, a lot of people I've talked to, that kind of is a a game breaker for them if they're going to talk about God or the God of my understanding. Uh, how do you how do you wrap your head around that if you're a person who's really been uh, kind of turned off by religion or spirituality? How do you how do you break through that because it's an important part of it. It's a huge part of it, and that was my story. <laughs> I did not believe in God. I didn't want to go to church. And, you know, and so I got dragged to Mile High Church, which for me personally really got me turned around because it changed my perception of what I was raised, how I was raised. It changed my perception of um, religion, of a higher power, God, spirit, whatever you want, choose to call it. And so it is a huge component and most of us, I think, in recovery have at some point or another struggled with it. Yeah. And it's a personal journey. And we just have to come to terms with the most important thing is that it wasn't me. I All my drinking adult life, I was pretending to be God. I controlled everything. I ran the universe. And so when I got sober, I realized, oh, my gosh, that's not correct. And so the journey towards humility and the journey towards surrender and turning it over and realizing that there was a power greater than myself um, was such a gift. And it was a process. Great. I like that. I like that. And I think that goes into what you were talking about, your terminal uniqueness. And I think that that's an aspect of spirituality that you have to take on when you're in recovery as well, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. And, um, you know, I'm disappointed to hear Carol say she was controlling the universe because I thought I was. (laughs) And then I realized we had a lot of company. Um, But it's everybody's journey. I walked in like Carol did, just kicking, screaming. I didn't want to hear about God. or You know, I'd hear people say higher power, and I know they were just tricking me. They were really talking about God. And part of the the, the real purpose of the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous or, or, or uh, Narcotics Anonymous, it speaks to it in the 12th step, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps. So that, that got hammered into me to go through these steps and see what happens. Yeah. And by yeah. the time I got to that 12th step, I got it. I realized that, you know, if I was the greatest thing in this universe, we're in big trouble. 
And the number of care, caring, loving people reminded me of that. And I appreciate it. I'm grateful for those people. So to me, it's about when I first got sober and went through a treatment program, counselor asked me one night after talking about God in the group, she goes, would you be willing to believe in something greater? And I contemplated it for quite a while, about a half a second, and said no. And then she, being a very uh, uh, wise woman, she goes, would you be willing to be willing to believe in something greater? And my first thought is, that's a trick question. But it opened me up enough to stay open-minded. And in, in Alcoholics Anonymous, they have uh, a number of different uh, acronyms, but the one I really love is for the word how. Honesty, open-mindedness, and willingness. And I call that a formula. If you honestly connect to that and practice that, the universe is yours. Yeah. So, um, yeah, as we wrap it up here, how, uh, how do you start? Somebody that's listening to this and they say, all right, maybe, maybe I could start. Maybe it's time for me to start. Uh, where do they go? Well, I think um, Alcoholics Anonymous works for a lot of people. There's meetings every single day, almost every single hour, every place in town, and just keep going to meetings till you find one you like. Uh, we also have a meeting here at Mile High Church every Wednesday at 6. That's on Zoom, and you can get the link on our website. And we apply science of mind principles to recovery, so it's a little bit different of a mm -hmm. recovery meeting. Just reaching out and asking for help, um, whether that's me, whether it's uh, a tr another trusted minister, a trusted friend, just asking for help is such a huge first step. And there are so many hands just waiting to help pull you up. Yeah, yeah. What would you say? Where's, where's step one here? Step one is, you know, to me, stop fighting what is. And with that, again, whether it's it's reaching out to any kind of support community, AA, NA, smart recovery, anything that is of a community, reaching out to professionals, whether it's something somebody like myself or any other types of treatment programs, it's giving yourself permission to be held, to be guided, to be loved, to be supported. There, There's infinite resources just those three magic words ask for help yeah well i know that a lot of people uh it's been pointed out many times that because of the pandemic and people being in isolation uh, that uh, uh recovery is up and there's going to be more people who are looking for support and uh looking for connection so anybody that's listening today uh we encourage you to do that, to get support. And uh, I like what both of you said, that it begins with asking for help. And that's that's part of being in the humility workshop, as you put it. You know, uh, we don't like to ask for help and we don't like to uh, think that we need help, but uh, sometimes we do. So I want to thank you both for coming in and thank you both for what you do. All right. And uh, thank you. Thank you for having me. We will see you next time. Thanks a lot.